Hi everyone, you're listening to the Shegulola Salami Show. It's a show set in a virtual cafe, and I'm your host, Shegulola Salami. The show is about books and publishing, and guests from all over the world come on the show to share their expertise, motivate, educate, and inspire. If you enjoy the show, please do subscribe to it and tell your friends as well. As it's a virtual cafe, what can I offer you now? I'm Loretta Bruning. Hi. Hello, uh, Loretta. Um, how are you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me. Remind me, because you've been on the show before, so uh, remind me, where are you based? Northern California. Yeah, so for those who know, Loretta has been on the show before, um, so you could probably just go and search through previous episodes to see, you know, to see the previous episodes that we've had um, with her. But Loretta, for the people who have not met you before or forgotten, you know, about the previous episode, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been doing? So what have you been doing since the last time you were on the show? It's been okay. more than a year. Well, I'm always working on a new book and I'm very happy to be able to do that since I wanted to do that my whole life and really didn't get my first commercial book contract till I was 60. So now I'm whipping them out <laughs> and um, I have a new one coming out in September, 2021, which is called Tame Your Anxiety. No, I'm sorry. It's called, um, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. no, it's called Status Games, Why We Play and How to Stop. But my most recent book is called Tame Your Anxiety, Rewiring Your Brain for Happiness. And my most popular book is called Habits of a Happy Brain, Retrain your brain to boost your serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphin. And that's what we talked about last time. Hmm. And of course, my head is always in the new book that I'm trying to get going. Yeah. So how many books have you written in total so far? Well, it depends how you count because I, I had a bunch of um, self-published books and a bunch of academic books. But of this series um, with the Inner Mammal Institute, it's um, about five, oh, five commercial books. Oh, awesome. So the one day, you, your latest book now, remind me, what did you say the title was again? Oh, the latest one, Tame Your Anxiety, Rewiring Your Brain for Happiness. Awesome. How is that different to the previous one that talked about serotonin? So I, there's happy chemicals and unhappy chemicals. So ah. in the first two books, I talked about happy chemicals. And then everybody, of course, always asks about the unhappy chemicals and how to manage them. So that's what that book is. Ah, okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, first of all, it is a virtue cafe. You know, it's a shame that, you know, um, the world is not as connected yet where we could have coffee in real time. Um, so have your tastes changed since the last time you were here? What would you like me to offer you in my virtual cafe? Oh, you know, I have this memory of the best hot chocolate of my life in London. I don't know if you know this place. You walk in the door and they have this giant block of chocolate and they have four of them, four different kinds of chocolate. And you point to which one you want and a guy shaves off pieces of chocolate and puts it in a cup. And I guess he just microwaves it. 
Then he puts on whipped cream and then another ton of shavings. So it's beautiful and smells great. And it's, oh, I'm dreaming of it. <laughs> yes, no, that's amazing. I'm a hot chocolate kind of girl myself. I don't do coffee. I don't do, well, I can do tea, but it's not really my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yes. Whereas I'm a real hot chocolate girl. And I remember when my daughter was maybe three, maybe four, we went to a chocolate. So there was this, um, company that they do surprise escapes in London and I think they've expanded now so they took us to a surprise escape to a chocolate factory in London I was like what we actually have a chocolate factory in London right and they had lots of different types of chocolate and it was just the most amazing day and then yes they had the most amazing hot chocolate ever so yes <laughs> and did it did it smell great the whole time when you're in a chocolate factory, I just felt like, what was the guy's name in the chocolate factory again? Willy like, Wonka. Yes, I felt like Willy Wonka in a place. It was yeah. amazing. It yeah. was totally amazing. Yeah. Well, actually, um, I love the smell of walking into these places. But one thing my books are about is like, once you have something great, like a great smell, or let's say you walk into a coffee roasting place and it's a great smell, mm -hmm. but... It does, after a few minutes, you don't notice it anymore. So yeah. that's how our brain works. When you have mm. something great, you actually stop noticing it after a while. Mm. And that's, yeah. why, that's why we always want more. Yes, more is good, more is good. Um, okay, cool. So your book, when, you know, your latest book, how, when did you, when was it published? What was going through, I mean, you said that, you know, people were asking you about the negative chemicals. So what sort of things went through your mind in the writing of this book? How did you then get this final product that we've got today? Sure. Well, I'm always trying to have something that's simple and practical, that feels true, um, and also that you could have confidence to do it. Mm. So um, I've been very influenced lately by animal training. Um, because I study the animal brain. So when you have an animal who's upset, you know, and how do you learn from that? So in a lot of psychology traditions, you talk about a horse and rider, like a, a the brain is like, you're a rider on a horse and how do you control the horse? Yeah. And so that's sort of the concept. Okay, okay. And, what and the, the bottom line is that you can't hate the horse. And sure. so you can't hate your own brain. You can't hate your own anxiety, you know? No. So what are the key things that people who read this book can take away from it? What is the sort of key message, you know, um, what can they expect from it? Sure. Well, the simple message of all of my work is nothing is wrong with you and you have power over your brain. So I never go into like the disease view of the brain that something yeah. is wrong with you. So what can you do? Well, so there's a chemical that causes anxiety in our brain, cortisol. And mm -hmm. it's the same chemical that tells an animal that its survival is threatened. So once this chemical turns on, you feel in your whole body like your survival is threatened, even if nothing is really wrong, even if you're just getting upset about some tiny tone in a person's voice and you're creating a whole interpretation and 
you could be wrong or you could even deny like, oh, that doesn't bother me. I don't care about that. But once your chemical is triggered, then you, you have this uh, on, on your animal brain level, you have this full sensation that your survival is threatened, even though your verbal brain would deny it. So when you understand it, then you can manage it better. So understanding it means first to, to know that this is, this is the job that this chemical does, that it's controlled by an animal brain that's separate from your verbal brain and that your body eliminates it in about an hour. Um, and it has a half-life of 20 minutes. So every 20 minutes, you've gotten rid of a half of what's left. So if you try to do some work immediately, you may just get upset at whatever you do because you have this chemical in you. But if you do something fun for about 20 minutes, get rid of half of it, and then you can make better decisions and have better judgment. So that's a simple, short intro. Okay, awesome. And um, so this, everything you're saying sounds really science-y. What is your background? Because I think you said the something institute. What was the institute again? Oh, Inner Mammal Institute. Yeah. So my background is that I've studied psychology my whole life, but that was never my first profession. So... As a result, I was able to study different brands of psychology and put them together. I was not um, uh, convinced by the psychology that I was taught because it didn't work on my kids, didn't work on my students. And that's what got me looking around for something that makes more sense. And that's how I stumbled on the animal brain and the chemicals and the fact that we have the same chemicals that animals have controlled by the same brain structures. And these chemicals, um, the, what they do in animals explains everything about the things that people do that they don't like to admit with their verbal brain. And that's when I said, this is really the truth. This is, this is what I want to know. Mm -hmm. So the things that you write in your book, are they based on research? Are they based on your, you know, sort of professional work? Or how, how do you come about what you've written? So um, I was a college professor for 25 years in another field in management. I took early retirement. And now um, the books are based on other people's research. And it's not the latest research either. It's research that was done quite a while ago because this is no longer the thing, but to me, it's the thing. And so I interpret it in a way that um, people can understand. And what I, what I call it is connecting the dots, because like in academia, people who study one chemical don't talk to the people who study another chemical. Yeah. And also in academia, they're always trying to blame your emotions on society and never look at how you create them yourself. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds that that sounds really, really good. Um, because when you were talking about, you know, you taking research or other one, it kind of like feels like an, a, a what's what's the word? Give me a minute. Let me think of the word that I'm looking for. Like a peer review, like a peer review article or something like that. I took a minute. Wow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I guess I'm I sound like a professor. <laughs> Maybe. 
me. I don't know, but I, I, I thought I was putting it in a simple and entertaining way. So <laughs> no, that's the main thing. I think as long as people can read it, understand it, and, you know, they will be able to take something and hopefully it would make positive changes to their lives. Then I think that's your job done. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, so the idea is that, um, that this, um, when you have this cortisol feeling, the important thing about it is how does your brain know when you're threatened? Like when a gazelle smells a lion <laughs> and the gazelle says, my survival is threatened. I have to run. What triggers that and mm. what triggers it in us? And the mind blowing thing is that it's not triggered by your intellect and, you know, it's not a conscious decision. We all, all know that what mm. it is triggered by is whatever triggered it in your past. So every, every time when you were young, when you had a bad feeling turn on that paved a pathway in your brain to turn it on more easily in the same circumstance today. And the simple example of that is there's this girl who was in a bad car accident. She was in a coma and all her friends died in the accident. And when she woke up from the accident, she didn't even remember it. But every time she heard laughing, she had a panic attack because her brain connected the laughing that they were doing in the car at the moment of the crash with the pain of the crash. So your brain connects anything that felt bad in your past, everything going on at that moment, it connects it all. Neurons actually connect and um, turn on that panic feeling, that threat feeling, and we all have this. So we're all challenged to manage this. See, as you were talking and sort of trying to explain it, I was just trying to think, I remember, well, I guess a lot of people remember this, um, that, you know, sometimes when someone has had some sort of trauma and let's say, for instance, they were assaulted or, you know, subjects to crime or something, and then they're like, okay, come and, you know, identify the person who is, you know, carried mm. out this crime mm. against you. And then mm. the person then starts having panic attacks, right? So what you were saying, as you were saying it, that was just the image that was just sort of going through my head. And it was like, yeah. okay, don't yeah. worry, take your time, you know, calm down. Um, and yeah. then I think somebody else might not necessarily understand the pathway yeah. that you've just mentioned that yeah. has sort of been opened in this person's mind, in this person's body, in this person's brain that is making yes. them have these physical yes. reactions. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But my book helps you put it in a positive context. And because so much of psychology is like making you feel like a victim and I was traumatized and, and it's not my fault and it doesn't really help you. So the benefit is to say the solution to everything is you have to build a new pathway. So whenever you have a pathway that gives you trouble and it could be a good chemical because mm -hmm. it could be something that's not good for you, but you love it too much, for example, that's a pathway. Mm -hmm. So the solution is always, I need to build a new pathway to be conscious of what's the old pathway, what's the new one I need to build. And then building a new one just takes repetition. It's work like if you were carving a trail in the jungle, think that your brain is a jungle and you're carving a new trail. So in the case you talked about, I have to 
what would be the new trail in my brain is to say, I'm safe. I'm not in the situation I was in before. That situation is over. I'm good at creating safety, you know, and trust in your own skills and saying, I'm good at creating safety. I'm safe right now. So yeah. that's just one example. Okay. Do you have another example? Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, the real challenge is when you don't remember the bad experience, like yeah. let's say you're having a bad reaction and you don't even remember what's the bad thing that turned it on. Yeah. So we all have that because when you're a child, you're powerless. So something frustrating happens and your cortisol is triggered. Let's just say you don't get your way. And for children, it may feel like a life or death thing that you didn't get your way. And it builds a pathway and then everything in that situation, like if I don't get my way, I feel like I'm gonna explode. And that feeling, you just always think everybody else is wrong. Um, but maybe when you were a child, there was some really bad situation and no one likes to think they're just running on childhood pathways, but every one of us is running on childhood pathways because that's how our brain works is we're born with no connections. We build connections in childhood and adolescence, and that becomes like the highway system of your brain. And then you use that system because that's what you have until you build a new pathway. So if you feel like, you know, when you don't get your way and you feel like you're gonna explode, so what would be another pathway that you would wanna build is to say, I am safe. If I don't get my way in this situation, I'm still safe. If I cooperate with this person instead of trying to control them, I'll be even better off. So give, try to give the, your inner beast what it wants, is to say, I'll take care of you. You'll be better off if we try it this other way. Okay, I hear what you're saying. And as you were talking, two different scenarios we're playing you know, in my head. Um, so I'm going to just sort of push them all out just so that I don't forget. Because I get mummy brain. It's like sometimes I go into the room and then I pause and I'm like, wait, why did I come in here? And I'm like, I can't even remember what I came in here for. And then I would go yeah. out and then like, Two minutes later, I was like, oh, yeah, that was the reason. And then I go back in it. So, you know, pardon me. So when you were talking, the first thing that sort of was coming through my mind is, let's say, for instance, um, a person um, was physically or whatever way abused by their partner and they've then separated, right? And then as the person is walking down the streets, you know, happy, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, it's great. I've moved on with my life. I'm in a better place, walking, walking down the street. And then, boom they see the person who would then subjected them to all of that, whatever situation um, that was. And then they freeze, then they start shaking. At that particular time, I don't think that their brain is being rational for them to say, I am safe, because they don't feel safe at that point because that person yes, yes. is literally right there in front of them. Yes, So, and, and, and it can also happen even if you see someone that looks like them or someone that smells like them. So yeah, and so that can happen a lot even if you move to a, a new continent, right? Yeah. So, so bottom line is when you're telling yourself you're safe, you have to um, give more explanation. 
So when you were young, you were not safe because children are basically powerless. But now you have, have the power to distance yourself from that person. You have the skills, you have confidence in your own skills. And the really frustrating thing, let's say you see the person and in your past, other people took his side rather than your side. So that increases your feelings of weakness. But in this case, you could say, I'm not alone because I can find other people who will take my side. And you don't have to interact with them. Just the fact that you can look at them and keep walking and ignore them is like huge amount of power. So just keep reminding yourself how you have more power than you did when you were a kid. Now, you, what you really want, your child brain is saying, yeah, but I want to go back in time and undo it. I want to make a world where that can never happen again. Um, uh, and you can't. So you have to say that want is a real pathway in my brain that was built when I was a child for a good reason. And I accept myself as a person that has that pathway, but that I have billions of extra neurons to build new pathways. Yeah. Um, another thing though is some some kind of some trauma, uh, kind of like one of trauma. So for instance, an accident that's sort of like it's happened, it's a horrible thing, it's happened, but then you don't have that sort of major car accidents or plane accidents, you know, plane crashes, you know, every single day of your life right? You don't have that every day. So some are just sort of like one-offs. And I think what you're saying would be very applicable to those situations. But then what about people who are having ongoing trauma, be it domestic violence, be it whatever that kind of trauma is on an ongoing basis. And at the time they're reading your book, they're still not completely removed from the situation. So for instance, and this is just, you know, I'm not I'm just going to use this as an example because I've mentioned it. Let's say someone is then subject to domestic violence, right? And, you know, they and the person and their partner are now separated. But then the person's partner is a psycho, right? And doesn't leave the person alone and stalks the person and, you know, keeps harassing them on the street. And, you know, so yes, like where, how can your book sort of help them when they've not been able to completely remove the stressor at that particular time? Sure, good question. So in my book, I have a three-step method. So the first step is, um, is for 60 seconds and you turn on a timer and you say, what do I want right now? And the idea is um, like you could say, of course, I want this person to disappear. But if you try to be realistic, and try to focus on what you want. So you're not trying to please them, you're not trying to persuade them, you're not focused on them, but it's me, what do I want? So you could maybe what you want is to live in a different city and change your identity. I mean, maybe the person decides that they really need to take big steps or report them to, to the police or, um, find something they have control over that they can do differently. Um, create a plan, get, get an advocate, you know, take, take real steps, but not to dwell on it endlessly, but to think about it again from 
what do I want? What do I need to feel safe? So for example, it could be that right in this moment, that person is safe, but they're thinking, what if he does this to me tomorrow? What if he does that to me tomorrow? Then they need to control their own thoughts. So, you know, what I want right now is to sleep and to not think about him. And they need to, it's really to train themselves to not think about him. So for 60 seconds, you set a timer, what do I want? Then for 20 minutes, you do something fun. And when you do something fun, it shifts your focus so that you're not thinking about the threat. And you actually train your brain to be able to stop thinking about the threat and expect something that feels good. So you shift a bad feeling to a good feeling and build a pathway that says, I can create a good feeling. Now, in that moment, you don't really feel like anything is fun. So the, uh, I help you like come up with a list of things so that you're ready with things you like and enjoy in whatever moment that you have this anxiety. And then step three, again, you set a timer for 60 seconds. You think, what is my next step? And you take it, you know? So whether you're um, just having thoughts and need to fall asleep or whether you're in the immediate crisis, you think of a step that you can actually take because that's what makes us feel good. And that's what gets us out of the powerless feeling is not to constantly ruminate, but to say, what is my next step and take it right now. Right, okay. And then another scenario, and this is the one that was playing in my mind, the, you know, when I was, anyways, another scenario that was playing through my mind is, I met a guy once um, and, and I think I've read about, you know, similar scenarios, you know, playing out where children have experienced really, really traumatic events in their life, either as a one-off or on a recurring basis for, you know, a period of time. Then as their bodies, I think of the human body as an organism of its own. And so this organism that is the body in a way to sort of try and protect them because they're children, they're incapable of protecting themselves. They then have their mind shatters and then they end up having multiple personalities. And I met someone who said, you know, that he then ended up having four personalities. So his real personality plus three other personalities. And when he was undergoing um, talking therapy, he actually met, you know, as part of the group, someone who had like a hundred different personalities. Like this must be really, really traumatic for your mind to shatter that much how I I don't know what I'm trying to ask like would the talking help like you know reading your book and sort of trying because what you're talking about sort of sounds like manifestation where you manifest the things that you want in your life so if you want positive you would start off your day I am a good person I am successful you know that sort of manifestation and you know sort of trying to talk positive and taking control and taking charge of your life. That's kind of like what I get from what you've explained about your book, you know, taking that time to sort of talk through what's going on. But then when someone's had this really traumatic experience and it's also given them, you know, anxiety, panic attacks, and, you know, 
split personalities like is it likely to help it's just stuff that just as you were talking you know it's stuff that was going through my mind and I was just curious about it so here's the thing um you can't go back in time and undo it like you can't like everybody dreams of having some you know do over reset you know some new age um super science thing everybody is hoping for that yeah. uh, I and I, I'm not a big believer in that. I know that people want to, you know, the currently trendy thing is psychedelic drugs or something. So, or I don't know, some, you know, electrical zapping of your brain, whatever. But my idea is that, um, again, we still have these billions of extra neurons to create new pathways. Now it's hard because the emotional pathways are already created and they're all so, so well developed. Um, but what I explain is that creating a new pathway in your brain is exactly like learning a foreign language. So when you speak your native language, you were not born knowing that language. That's just a bunch of pathways that you built from a tremendous amount of repetition. And you built it because when, you know, if you said milk, somebody gave you milk. So you can build, a, you, anyone can learn a new language but most of us don't because it's so much work, but you can. So that's the idea with your thoughts and emotions is you can build new pathways. So if this person, so first, many of the people in the past were traumatized. And when you read biographies of anybody who did great things, anybody in history, they all had horrible stories. Like even if they were kings and queens, you know, they were often raised by servants who tortured them. Very, very common. So uh, bad things were very common in history. And how do you build a new pathway is repetition by focusing in, on what you want, taking a step and giving yourself some uh, decompressing fun things to lower the, the bad chemicals Oh, I forgot to say that, that while you're doing the fun things that your bad chemicals are actually getting eliminated and spit out. So taking the steps triggers good chemicals. So what uh, does any of us have in life is finding a way to trigger our happy chemicals. So that's the solution, no matter how bad a person is at first, they can start triggering happy chemicals and feeling good about it and with each step build the wiring to trigger more happy chemicals. Yeah, awesome. Um, so what's the, I, I think, you know, it's been a really enjoyable conversation um, and we're getting to that point in time where I would need to kick you out of the virtual cafe, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, but what I wanted to ask you is what is the link to your website? InnerMammalInstitute.org, InnerMammalInstitute.org. Right. Um, and does it have link to your social media pages in case anyone wants to connect with you? Yes. And it also has a pop-up for a free five-day happy chemical jumpstart, which is five emails, one a day for five days that explains the four happy chemicals plus the threat chemical. Right. Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you found today's episode really enjoyable. And I've learned a lot of things, you know, um, 
as well, just chatted with Loretta. So if you do have a chance, you know, is your book wildly, uh, widely available? Where is it available? Yes, yes. Um, it's on Amazon and all the usual places. Okay, can you just remind me what the name of your book is again? Just so that sure. anyone who has forget- forgotten was sure. um, able to get tame it. Your ang- tame Your Anxiety, Rewiring Your Brain for Happiness. Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure again. And everyone, until next time, it is the Shagilola Salami Show. Bye now. And that brings us to the end of today's episode of the Shagilola Salami Show. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's episode. Um, I would really appreciate it if you would consider leaving a review of the show because it sort of helps me know what I'm doing right, what I'm not doing so right, and what I need to improve. Um, If you know anyone else who would benefit um, or who would enjoy the show, please do share the show with everyone in your network. Thank you very much. And until next time, again, it is the Shagilola Salami Show. Bye now. (laughs) 